Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. The title of my message, if you are taking notes, is okay, bad example. Okay, bad example. You ever try to be convincing someone of something and you're like, like say for instance, and they're like, yeah, but, and they shoot it full of holes, and you're like, okay, bad example, but that's not the thing that epitomizes what it is I'm trying to talk about. And uh, I think we've all had these experiences in our lives uh, as well. I had a, a buddy a while back that uh, was trying to convince me that I should wear polo shirts, right? Like the shirts uh, with the three buttons and the collar and uh he was just like, man, I really feel like you should wear polo shirts. And I was like, this is what a random thing for you just to come up and tell me. Uh, but thank you for being concerned with my wardrobe and fashion. Uh, I appreciate that. And he brought it up multiple times. And he was just like, I really think you should wear polo shirts. I think you look good in polo shirts. I feel like your vibe, you know, you could, you could pull off a polo shirt would look good on you. And finally, I just had to be like, let it go, buddy. It's never going to happen. Okay? I'm not going to wear a polo shirt. I can't wear polo shirts. Okay, because that is Doug Stetson's look, and that guy was a jerk. <laughs> and here's what I mean by that. When I was younger, there was this guy named Doug Stetson, not his real last name. We just called him that because he bought Stetson cologne and most have bathed in it because this guy just smelled constantly of this cheap cologne, and he always wore polo shirts, and he was very condescending to everyone. He was kind of rich and kind of a mean jerk. And I never really liked him. And I always felt like he hated me. And he always wore polo shirts with his business embroidered on the front, which was just his name, was the name of the business, which made it seem even more obnoxious. And I also, he ironed his jeans. And there was just a lot of things about this guy that I was just like, I don't like. And whenever I think of polo shirts, I think of this guy. And I don't wanna have anything to do with polo shirts because I don't wanna have anything to do with him. And wearing one, I would, I would put on a polo shirt, instantly smell Stetson cologne. I know it would happen. And I would feel like I'm a horrible person because I have this weird association with polo shirts and Doug Stetson. And I bring this up because I think that you probably have something like this in your life too. Right? There is probably a thing in your life that, uh, or a thing in the world that you don't like because of the person or people that you associate it with. Right? The thing itself may not actually be a bad thing, but because you associate it with a bad example, uh, with somebody that you don't like, with a, a, a situation that you don't like, with an experience that you don't like, now that thing is something that you don't like. And I think this is because uh, we have this sort of thing as humans where we evaluate more by associations than attributes. In other words, we like to think that we are logically peeling everything apart and judging things based on their individual merit. But in reality, we judge most things in life based on what we associate them with. Whatever the feelings or situations that those things bring up for us tend to be more powerful in terms of how we evaluate them than their actual attributes. The, the, what, we, what these things bring up for us is weightier than the things themselves. And the reason I think this is important to the conversation we're having about faith and politics 
is that the reality is there are so many people who don't want to have anything to do with Christianity because of the Christians they know. Because they look at Christians and they think like, listen, if that person is what this movement is like, I don't want to have anything to do with it. If that person embodies this thing, I need to get as far away from that thing as is humanly possible. And it seems, at least nowadays, that many people's bad church experiences have a lot to do with politics. According to a recent study, uh, 16% of Americans who left their childhood faith as adults said it was because, quote, their church was too obsessed with politics. Then there's a whole other group, right, who didn't necessarily grow up in church, but they're not interested in interacting with church or getting involved in church because of the same exact reason. They're curious about Jesus, but they don't know if they can support that particular candidate or if they can support that policy if they want to vote this way. And according to a lot of the Christians that they know, you can't follow Jesus unless you also follow this political pattern. And so the conclusion they make is, I guess I'm not welcome. Now, I know you're thinking like, okay, that feels a little harsh because we're not really trying to hurt people. You know, that's not what we want to do. Um, It's not personal, but we do have to take a stand because this nation is crumbling and people are doing the wrong things. And so we have to speak up and we have to tell people the right way to live and we have to make sure the right laws get passed so that people will be forced to do what they're supposed to do. And the only issue with this is that early Christian leaders don't seem to share this perspective. And maybe you've never heard this before. This is something that the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, when he's being pressured to um, get involved with how non-Christians live their lives. And he says this, it isn't my responsibility to judge those outside the faith. Wow. Now, I know you're thinking like, (laughs) okay, but then who is going to judge them if I don't judge them? And this is crazy, but according to Paul, uh, he thought God was going to do it and would be better at it. And oftentimes our pushback to this is, if we're honest, but God isn't moving fast enough with the big issues, which makes me feel that maybe he can't be trusted with this stuff, and so we should have to do it for him. And obviously, doing something on behalf of God and God moving in the world has to happen through the political sector. Where else would it happen? But here's what is so interesting. When we read the New Testament, early Christ followers didn't believe that Jesus' revolution would come through legislation. That wasn't even a thought in their mind. They weren't really interested in forcing non-Christians to act like Christians. Uh, They were mostly focused on getting Christians to act like Christians, which is interesting and probably still a valid thing we should be working on. The Apostle Peter framed it this way, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they'll see your honorable behavior and they'll give honor to God. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. In other words, if, according to Peter at least, if the reason someone doesn't want to be a Christian is because they know Christians, chances are the Christians they know 
aren't acting like Christ. And so how are Christians supposed to act? According to Peter, uh, just like really analyzing even just this single verse, they care, they live properly, they're honorable, they are known for treating everyone with respect, especially those stacked against them. And here's the question that I wanna pose to you, that I want you to pose to yourself. Is, is this what people say about you? Like if we were to, to send like a team of people out to interview the people that you, know, you work with or that follow you on Facebook or that share family dinners at your house on the holidays or have sat with you on the sidelines for hours on end during your kids' sporting activities, what would those people say about you? I wonder if these people would happen to know a lot about your political perspectives, but very little about your spiritual perspectives. If they would know a lot about your politics, but very little about your faith. And what Peter is really trying to get at here is sort of this idea that he wants Christians to grab hold of in the early church that I think Jesus wants us to grab a hold of today. He's encouraging them to never burn a relational bridge over a political perspective. And probably the way that, that most of you feel when hearing this is probably the way that most of the early church followers felt when Peter originally said this. Like, I don't know about that, Peter, because if we don't tell them what's wrong, they'll never know how wrong they are. And that's why we have to post and petition and protest. It's just like James said, faith without posts is dead. I'm sorry, that's wrong. Faith without votes it, that's wrong again, sorry. Faith without deeds is dead. Isn't it interesting how like we find certain things that we like or we wanna do, certain ways that we wanna be, and we just rewrite the Bible in order to squeeze in the perspective that we currently have instead of adapting our current perspective to Christ's perspective. And this word deeds is defined in the book of James, who's the brother of Jesus, as practical action that betters the lives of those around you. Like faith, like having a belief system in God, in Jesus, that doesn't work in practical ways to improve the lives of people around you, James says, is pretty much worthless. In other words, authentic faith does stuff. I would say it this way, faith that doesn't do good isn't any good. And most Christians uh, agree with this in theory until you ask them to get their hands dirty and then it's like, well, I don't know. It's when you push them to get practical that theorists get uncomfortable. And James saying this is really just echoing what he heard from Jesus, whom he followed, who was also his brother which to me is the ultimate testimony, right? When you can actually believe that your brother is God because he grew up with that guy and no doubt they fought all the time. In the gospels, Jesus tells this story about standing before God at the end of your life and he frames it this way. Matthew chapter 25, verse 34, maybe you've heard this, says, then the, the king who in this story represents God will say, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom. For I was hungry, 
and you posted on my behalf. I was thirsty and you told me to get a job. I was a stranger and you signed that petition. Oh, thank God. I was naked and you had me arrested for dragging down your property values. I was sick and you told me I probably brought it on myself. I was in prison and you did nothing because you were convinced that I deserved to be there. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, I got this verse wrong again. That is not what it says. Isn't this what we pretend that it says, though? This is what Jesus actually says. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. Oof, that's convicting. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And some will ask, when did we do all these things? And the king will say, when you did it to the least among you, you were doing it to me. And I don't know if when you stare at this verse, if what stands out to you is what stands out to me, that everything that Jesus lists as a genuine expression of faith are actions that require you to get personally involved in the physical lives of other people. Not just talking about what you think is good for them from a distance, but getting involved and providing what is good for them up close. And in these passages and many more, Jesus provides no qualifiers to excuse us from serving these sorts of people, nor does he blame them for ending up in the circumstances they're in. And, and what happened, at least in Jesus' day, was the more Jesus talked about serving in place of arguing, the more his followers unfollowed him. And not much has really changed. Let me ask you this to wrestle with in your own life. Does your behavior demonstrate that you're more interested in winning people to your politics with your words or winning them to your faith with your actions? Which is most true of you? Because Jesus was more focused on treating people right than telling them they're wrong. Is this true of you? Because it was definitely true of the New Testament Christians. And it's not like there wasn't any suffering or you know, immoral behavior or corrupt government back in the first century. If you know anything about history, you know it was way worse than it is now. Yet strangely, and this blows my mind, there's no mention of a single boycott, petition, or church-sponsored outrage of any kind. There are no attempts to create policies to change how non-Christians behaved or how the government operated. But there is a lot in the New Testament about how Christians cared for people by committing to action-oriented Christ-like service in the lives of real people. Like, here's one of the most famous examples. Maybe you've heard this one before. Acts chapter 2, verse 44. All the believers, people who were Christians, believed in Christ as their Lord, met together and shared everything they had. They sold property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together, met in homes, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all. And each day, the Lord added to their numbers. So the way the early Christians responded to the unchristlike culture they found themselves in, and they were definitely in an unchristlike culture, 
they responded by sacrificing and sharing, by taking care of people's actual needs, by worshiping together, eating together a lot. There's so many examples of this, it's ridiculous. Enjoying life alongside each other and extending goodwill to everyone around them. And as a result, God did in their culture what seems to be almost the opposite of what happens in our culture. God added to their number daily. Why? Why would that happen? Because if you asked a non-Christian in their culture what a Christian was like, what they would most likely say is something along the lines of this verse. And we know this by outside historical examples and descriptions of what Christians were like, that they were like the Acts 2 church. But if you ask a non-Christian in our culture what a Christian is like, they may have a completely different answer. So why don't we want to live like the early church? Because it is uncomfortable and inconvenient and costly. And the price we mostly pay is in pride, which we hate. Because doing good doesn't always feel good. But taking a stand makes me feel superior, and I like that feeling. And so that's what I would rather do. And I feel like maybe I'm not alone in this. Jesus, on the other hand, actually, unlike me, was superior to every single person around him, and yet he sought only to serve them. One New Testament author says it this way, that he made himself nothing. That's the opposite of insisting on your superiority. And all of Jesus' early followers followed suit. This is something that the Apostle Paul says. He's one of the first Christians and uh, who is credited with having written most of the New Testament. He says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. Even though I am a free man with no master, I've become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. So right off the bat, like just some observations, he doesn't have to do this. He's choosing to. Instead of doing just like whatever he wants, he does whatever he believes will help other people see Jesus through him. And this brings up a really important question. What others? And if you read this text, just all others, like all of them. Some of you are like, like all, all? Like even those from like a different political party? Like even people that I think are wrong? That can't be what he means. You're telling me that being a Christian means doing whatever is necessary to find common ground with everyone around you so that you can demonstrate to them practically what Jesus is like? Yes. To what extent? I mean, again, if you're going according to Paul, he goes all in. Listen to what he says next. Verse 20 through 22. He says, like for instance, when I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. Even though I'm not subject to the law, I lived according to the law so that I could bring Christ to those who are. And when I'm with the Gentiles, I too live like a Gentile to bring them to Christ. But I obey the law of Christ always. Now, I'll just pause here. Like, what is the law 
of Christ, because this is something that Paul says a lot. It's, it's Paul's nickname for Jesus' command to love one another just as I have loved you. In other words, the, the, the reason that you're to love other people is because, not because they're lovable or because they love you, but because I love you. And how you're supposed to love them is not how they've treated you in the past, but how I treat you on an ongoing basis. In other words, Paul's committed to giving the same grace Jesus gave him to every single human around him. And then he says this, verse 22. I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. And maybe you're listening to this and just thinking like, I don't know. Sounds pretty wishy-washy to me. What a coward. Pick a lane, Paul. Why are you so afraid of what people think? Why can't you just tell people what you really believe? Also, if what you believe is different than what I believe, you're dead to me, and I will make it known to everyone. And yet, Paul was so convinced that Jesus was worth following that it was a price he was willing to pay. And so Paul willingly allowed himself to be misunderstood and mistreated so that he could earn enough relational collateral to save some. And when I read this, you know what I think? Just being super honest, I think, I feel you, Paul. Because if I want to give you some insight into what my life has looked like the last few years, lots of people have misunderstood and mistreated me for refusing to take a particular political stance. I have been yelled at and posted about and cursed out and threatened. I've been called names. I've been told I was not a good Christian or a good pastor or a good person. People have blasted and spread rumors about and left our church, all because I refused to publicly take a stand from this pulpit, which consequently isn't a stand, it's their stand. But I am standing in the middle with Jesus to connect all people to Christ. Not just people who vote and think a particular way. And the thing I would tell you about all this stuff is that everything I just told you are only things that Christians have done to me. And I don't tell you this to feel sorry for me. Don't feel sorry for me. I don't feel sorry for me. But I am brokenhearted that this is many people's experience of Christianity. And my faith is, is strong. It's aged. It's tough. It's grounded. Like these sort of things happening in my life are not going to shake my faith. It's not going to cause me to walk away from Christ. But it is going to shake other people's faith. And other people won't even want to get involved with our faith because they're watching it from the outside. And I don't blame them. Why would anyone want to be a Christian if most of their experiences with Christians are with people who don't talk or act anything like Christ? Jesus said that his followers' lives ought to look like this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. He says, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. In other words, work to make things right 
more than you rant about what's wrong. But what about all the stuff that I'm mad about, that I'm pretty sure God agrees with me on? Serve those who are suffering as a result of it, as opposed to just talking about what you don't like about it. Here's the thing that I think we can draw from the entirety of the New Testament authors, that you ought to be known more for your positive actions than your negative posts. And I don't know that we can say this is true about the majority of Christians in our culture today. And that's not okay. Now, let me get really uncomfortably practical with you because people are already mad at me anyway, so we might as well go all in. (laughs) You hate abortion. I get it. What are you doing to serve the many kids in our own community who were not aborted, but who have horrible childhoods because they don't have any healthy caregivers in their life. What are you doing about that? Are you willing to serve in kids' ministry to take care of those kids? Do you support single moms financially or otherwise without judging them for how they ended up being a single mom? Are you willing to give up your free weekend that you had planned to do something fun for yourself, by yourself, and willing to give up your recent bonus that you were gonna spend on yourself to give to a local group home that takes care of these kids who were not aborted? You hate the sexualization of kids, I get it. What are you doing to be a positive influence in the lives of students? Are you willing to give up your Wednesday night to spend time building relationships with scary junior high and high schoolers? (laughs) That even though you're 40, you're scared of them and that they're not gonna like you? Are you willing to spend your hard-earned money to sponsor kids to attend church activities or maybe even go to therapy? Are you modeling a healthy, Christ-centered, romantic relationship in front of your kids and their friends so that because they have seen something healthy, they can quickly identify what is not? You hate the whole gender conversation. Okay, what are you doing to avoid being an unhealthy stereotype that everyone's running from? Are you willing to be the kind of man who works through his dysfunction, embodies empathy, serves others, and treats women with genuine respect? Are you willing to be the kind of woman who works through her dysfunction, who boldly asks for her needs to be met, who uses all of her gifts to make her community better, and who sees her sensitivity as strength? I think we have gotten to a place in our culture where we have accepted talk as a substitute for action. Jesus does not give us permission to do that. Posting is not a substitute for doing. Voting, great, not a substitute for serving. This is the gospel, whether we like it or not. Because the reality of it is, lasting change doesn't come from complaining, but creating. The the, the thought in the New Testament was, if you believe something is broken, build something better. And I know maybe you're thinking like, yeah, I, I hear you, but you don't understand. I mean, that was then, this is now. Things are really bad now. Loving and serving people is like a great idea, but it doesn't work in reality, okay? 
And it's fine under normal circumstances, but not now. When everything is caving in and the world is about to end. And that's a great point. Except Peter and the New Testament authors don't agree with you about that either. Listen to this. This is one of the most fascinating verses, I think, in the entire New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The end of the world is coming soon. He doesn't deny it. He's like, it's gonna happen. So what should we do? Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. And carefully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Wait, what? Peter is saying this, and he gets this from watching how Jesus lived his life. The worse things get, the more focused you and I should be on, if we're Christ followers, to prayer, serving, giving grace to people who frustrate or disappoint you, and inviting lots of different people to share your home and your table. But we do the opposite. We panic and live in fear, and our response to the end of the world coming soon is to hoard food and hide money and collect guns and build bunkers and trust no one and pray to God that he can just get the right person into office because that's what's going to save us. But none of this is what Jesus is asking you to do. You're called to serve like Christ. And if you're not interested in loving and serving the people around you practically, it's not Christ you wanna follow because that's the whole deal. So here's my challenge to you this week and my final week as your pastor. Um, <laughs> just kidding. I want you to ask yourself this. Is my political commentary creating an unnecessary distraction from Jesus? Again, if it's really true that we make a lot of values judgments based on associations as opposed to attributes, when people look at you and associate you with Jesus, is that a good thing? Is that an attractive thing? Do people look at you and say like, ah, I don't really know about Christianity. They believe some weird stuff. They believe a guy came back from the dead. Like that's weird, that's crazy. But I gotta tell you, when I spend time with these people, if that's what Christianity is, I am interested. Or is it the opposite? Is it the thing that I hear people who have left the faith tell me over and over again in personal conversations that I have with them all over our community? I'll tell you what turned me off to the faith. It had nothing to do with Jesus. It had everything to do with his so-called followers. If that's what he is, I don't wanna have anything to do with it. People ought to associate you with not just believing in Christ, but behaving like Christ. And why? Why would you work so hard to build common ground with so many different types of people for the same reason that Paul did for the sake of winning some, for the sake of cutting through all the junk and being able to introduce people to who Jesus is and how Jesus loves because we believe that it changes everything.
that maybe, just maybe, they'll have an epiphany that, you know, Christianity and Christ is not evil. Um, they just spent some time with some bad Christians. And maybe someday I will have an epiphany that polos aren't evil. Maybe Doug was just a jerk. Um, but the only way to overthrow a decision made by an association is a better, stronger association. This is your job as followers of Jesus. And my prayer for you today is that you would do the work to submit to Christ and be that positive association because there are people's lives and eternities on the line. Would you bow your heads across this room as I pray for you and myself? God, I am so grateful for who you are, for how you love us. God, I am grateful that you don't just rescue us from sin and shame, that you don't just forgive us of sins, but God, you show us how to live better. It's not just your sacrifice that we believe in, it is your sacrifice that we follow. It doesn't just inform our beliefs, it informs our behavior. As you laid your life down for us, so too are we willing to lay our lives down for others. God, I pray that we would channel your love to our community by seeking ways to serve and show your love instead of just telling the world around us what we're annoyed about, what we're frustrated over. May we be agents of change through practical, positive action, through creation, not complaints. Make it so, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.